folks. My name's Roger as well. Uh, Welcome to Church in the Graveyard. Please keep Matthew 28 open and let me pray for us as we hear God's word. Sovereign Lord, we thank you that you have power over death. And we thank you today that we can remember this magnificent thing that you've done in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, We pray that you would help us to hear this story anew tonight, uh, to remember what you have done and what you call your people to be. And we thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder what you are like in new situations. What are you like in new situations? I've got two stories for you, one from my family and one from a film. Uh, My son Josh is six and a half at the moment, and uh, when he was four, Leah, my wife, took him to see a Colin Buchanan concert. You may not know Colin Buchanan. He's kind of a play school guy, but he's a Christian and he's written a bunch of Christian songs and he puts on concerts and, you know, four or five hundred kids and their mums come along and it's, it's great. It's really, really good. Jesus Rocks the World, by the way, one of Colin's best songs. Um, but Josh, the first time he went to see Colin, freaked out. Never seen that many people really together at once. And even though quite happy to watch and sing along with Colin at home, in concert... Let me tell you about Josh's response. Firstly, he cried, and then he cried, and then he went home. That was all. And that night, as we were praying, as Josh was going to bed, uh, Josh is just learning to pray, and he said, Dear God, Colin, bit scary. Amen. (laughs) That's a new situation for him. He kind of flipped out. Uh, let me tell you about uh, a movie situation. There's a bunch of movies that fall into this category as well where someone travels through time, usually into the future. So imagine uh, I'm a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure kind of fan. So you get Socrates, Socrates, uh, from you know hundreds of years before Jesus, transported in time to the 1980s. And like, imagine if you walked into this building and you'd never seen lights before. Now, you deal with lights every day, so they're not that exciting. But imagine if you'd seen, you saw a thing hanging from the wall that was like a little sun in a box. And then as you stood outside, a wagon with no horses came along, just whirring by its... You'd be astonished. You'd be freaking out. Because things like that just totally change the way you have to see the world. Totally just upend what you thought reality was all about. And you've kind of got two choices, to kind of go gaga or to reshape the way you think about the world. How does, how does a light work? Well, let me tell you about electrons. The resurrection of Jesus is exactly the same. The soldiers in this episode flip out when they see not Jesus but an angel, a messenger from God. They flip out. They can't comprehend what is happening in this situation. And the disciples, the followers of Jesus, represent a different way of responding to this totally new way of seeing the world. What if if dead people come back to life? What would the world be like if there was life after death? See, we live in a world where death is the end. 
I've stood here and officiated at funerals with a coffin or a box of ashes, and it's perfectly clear that the person who is here is not going to come back to life. We know that's normal. It's the way we order our society. When a person dies, we redistribute their goods around to other people because they're not going to need them. As we wander through Matthew 28 tonight, I, want you to, I just want you to read it afresh and try really hard to imagine you were there, to think about what it would be like to have this experience, to witness what these people saw. Matthew 28, verse 1. Mary, Mary. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. They weren't allowed to do it the day before, Saturday, because as good Jews, you weren't allowed to wander around on the Sabbath, yet stayed at home and had a day of rest. But the one that they followed for years, Jesus, has been killed and put in a tomb and they're, they're broken, they're distraught. They just want to be where the body of Jesus is. And as we read the next few verses, I reckon there's two responses. And I'm just going to flag them for you. Stuff happens here that is weird. Earthquakes. Oh, like we kind of remember earthquakes. I remember the Newcastle earthquake. I was down at Balmoral Beach. It was like this. And that was it. But our friends in Christchurch have experienced proper earthquakes lately. It's that kind of world-shaking experience where you realise that you're not in control. That there's something happening here that's beyond you that you're completely powerless to control. It's a reminder that you haven't got it all together. Earthquakes, there's a guy who appears and looks like someone from a nappy sand commercial, clothes like lightning, dazzling white, that's there in verse 3. His clothes were as white as snow. I'm assuming clean snow, not that grotty snow you get at the edge of the road. It's meant to remind you of all those people through the Old Testament who appear as messengers from God. The whiteness, the dazzling brightness is to remind you that they are holy, like God, not like us. Earthquakes, angels, and a guy who's risen from the dead. Now, the two responses? The the first one is, uh, that's obviously a fairy tale, and I I just can't believe it. It doesn't fit within my worldview. And so I'm just going to decide it's bollocks, it's rubbish, it's a story made up. The other option is, well, this is very, very, very different to what I think the world is like on a kind of scientific rationalist point of view. But I'm open to seeing whether there's any evidence to uphold this new piece of information. Tell me about these lights. Explain how they work. What could this person be on about? Now, if you're in the first camp where this just is too much of a fairy tale for you to believe, can I urge you? No, I am urging you. Please, just pretend that this is a historical document. Well, you don't have to pretend because it is. Look at the evidence. One of the things that I love about Christianity is that it's open for inspection. Just like the tomb, it's open for inspection. See what happens? Uh, Verse 2 There's a violent earthquake, an angel of the Lord comes down and going to the tomb, there's no effort involved, he just rolls aside the the stone and sits on it. His appearance, the nappy sand, the guards' response, verse 4, they're so afraid, and I really want to act this out, but I'm not going to, is that they shake and become like dead men. It kind of flips their circuits. They can't contemplate what is happening. And the angel says to the women, 
who came to see Jesus, don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he's risen, just as he said. Just as he said. Jesus said he was going to die and rise again, and it's happened. His words proved to be true. Come and see the place where he lay. The tomb is open for inspection. Then they have a task to do, verse 7. Go, quickly. Tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now, I've told you. Angel's a messenger. He's done his job. I've told you. I won't see you again in this story. Scene 2, verse 8. The women hurried away with the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. You see those two together? It's an odd combination. The women hurry away from the tomb, afraid... Afraid of what? Afraid that something's happened to Jesus? Afraid because they've just seen Mr. Nappy Sam? Afraid yet filled with joy because the word is, the promise is that Jesus is alive. Suddenly, Jesus appears. (laughs) What do you expect Jesus to open with? Greetings, he says. Greetings. And they come to him and clasp his feet and worshipped him. Why would you do that? Do they clasp his feet out of fear or joy? I think joy. And what does it mean to worship Jesus who's come back from the dead? It's to recognize that he is who he said he was. Worshipping Jesus is to treat him like the king he claimed to be. Do you worship Jesus? Do you treat him like the king he claims to be? It's a sign of acknowledging you're in the presence of royalty. If you walked into church tonight and fell at my feet, you'd be an idiot. Because I'm not a king. I'm just a guy. Jesus is not just a guy. He's a man. But he's a man who is God, who has risen from the dead. And it's joyful and it's a little bit scary. And Jesus says to them, verse 10, if you're following along, don't be afraid. Because there's something about the risen Jesus that is a little bit scary, that provokes rightful fear. Don't be afraid. If you walked into church tonight and the welcomers hand you an outline, say, don't be afraid. You're like, what? What do I have to be afraid? Sandstone falling on my head? Are people just out to get me here? If you open with don't be afraid, it's because there's a reason to be fearful. Don't be afraid. Jesus says to his friends, to the women who know him and love him, don't be afraid. This new thing that's reshaping your worldview, the resurrected body, which is real, they're touching his feet, it's not through the air. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee. And then in verse 11, the story stops. They're like, what's happening? Why do I get this weird... 11 to 15 historical sidebar on what's happening over in the palace. I'll tell you, I think the reason is in verse 17. It's because doubt is a good thing. Verse 17, we'll get to it in in a minute, but I think this explains the section before. When, When the disciples see Jesus, what's their response in verse 17? Have a look at the disciples' response. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that Isn't that an odd thing to put in the Bible? 
that the disciples, the 11, the faithful ones, there's 11 because Judas betrayed Jesus and then hanged himself. The faithful disciples, the followers of Jesus, worship him, treat him like the king he is, and, and they doubt. Can I just say, this is good news for us. Because even when they saw Jesus risen from the dead, they doubted. What do you do with that doubt? Doubt is a wonderful thing for Christians, let me say. I'll say it again because you may not have expected the minister to say that. Doubt is a wonderful thing for Christians because it forces us to go back and look at whether the evidence is true. You might have heard it said that doubt is like going to the gym for your faith. You know, when you go to the gym, the idea is that you stretch your muscles to the point where they break a little bit and grow back stronger. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is there a man who has defeated death and calls me to live a life that's shaped by selfless sacrifice? Why would I do that? If you doubt that it's worth being a Christian, that it's worth putting to death sin in your life, it's normal to doubt that. Even the disciples who saw the risen Jesus doubted that he was really who he said he was. And what did they do? They listened to Jesus. They go back to the evidence. The women looked in the empty tomb. Christianity is open for inspection. It invites you with full confidence that Jesus really rose from the dead and he's really the king that God has appointed. And you can really live a life following him. So verses 11 to 15 kind of make sense in light of that. It's the story of what you might have heard about Jesus, but it's not true. The women were on the way. The guards, the guards there in verse 11 reported to the chief priest everything that happened. The chief priest met to the elders. It's a bit like a kid's story, the court of King Caractacus. The chief priest met with the elders. The elders say to the... Essentially, the soldiers get paid off to say, we stuffed up, we fell asleep. And they would have needed to be paid a large sum of money because the consequences for them falling asleep on the job were very, very, very severe. If this report gets to the governor, verse 14, the heads of the Jewish council say, we'll satisfy him and get you out of trouble. It's that pathetic, human, political passing over the truth that Andrew talked about on Good Friday. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed because that's what soldiers do. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this day because it's not normal for people to rise from the dead. It's not normal for a man to come out of a tomb and be alive and call people to follow him. But that's what Jesus does in the last little verse section of verses in this book. Now, imagine you have a business card. Maybe you do have a business card. I wonder what it says on your business card. Verse 18, Jesus comes to his disciples and his business card says, Jesus. And under it, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Imagine you had that business card. Ellie all authority in, biz- in heaven on earth. John, all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, I mean, that's kind of exciting, right? What are you going to do with all authority in heaven and on earth? That's, 
That's the question I think the disciples have. What's going to happen? We know that Jesus was healing people and feeding people and teaching people in the time that he was on earth before his crucifixion. We know that he suffered and died, claiming that he would draw all men to himself and pay for people's sin. But what's he going to do now that he's risen from the dead? All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. Therefore, imagine you're reading this for the first time. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of all authority in heaven and on earth? Listen to the words of Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations, going, baptizing, teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. This is the purpose of Jesus' whole life, death, and resurrection to call to himself a people. Followers, that's what disciple means, followers. And look, look where we are. We're not in Jerusalem, Galilee, Judea or Samaria. We are so far from there because because surely, Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As you read Psalm 22 tonight, as Andrew read it out, you heard the great plan that God has for the world, not just Israel, but all the nations will see this righteousness that God has established. He has done it in Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead stamps God's approval on the life that Jesus has lived. It says, yes, even though it looked pathetic, Jesus' life of weakness, of service, of sacrifice, even unto death, is the life that I commend. You know those words from Philippians 2, talks about Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing, being made in human likeness, taking on the form of a servant, and even lowering himself to death, death on a cross. And there's one of those beautiful therefores. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, all authority, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This is what God wants from people everywhere, to recognise Jesus for who he is, not to sweep him under the carpet and make up a story, but to follow him, to follow him as their king who has died and risen to guarantee life into eternity. Now, we can pursue a lot of things in life. Most of them don't last forever. The honour of people and friends, fantastic houses and coffee machines and cars and respect from people. When, you, when you're dead, that's it. But people, people last forever. Everyone, Jesus says, is raised to life on the last day to stand before God, give an account of where they stand before this king. And Jesus' great purpose with all authority, is to his disciples, just 11 then, make disciples. 
by going, baptising, teaching Jesus' commands. We are here because countless generations of people have done just this. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, how do I make another person a disciple of Jesus? I can't do it. And you're exactly right, you can't. That's why the last words in Matthew 28 are, I am with you always. Jesus is with us, his people, by his spirit. As he ascends into heaven, he sends the counsel of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God does, bringing people to see Jesus for who he is. We, publicly and privately, in our homes, in relationships and workplaces, we commend Jesus to people. Look what I found. Look what I found. I found a man who died on a cross and offers forgiveness of sin and life that has purpose into eternity. Look what I found. This is the man I follow, Jesus, who said he would die and rise again and did. You not believe it? Does it sound too fantastic? Yeah, I didn't believe it at first either. And I've still got my doubts that this life is worth living because it's hard. I just want to finish by saying uh, one of the beautiful things about the resurrection is that it, it puts God's stamp of approval on a life of suffering with purpose. I'll say that again because I think it's really important. The resurrection of Jesus Christ puts God's stamp of approval on a life of suffering with purpose. Now, I don't know uh, whether you're suffering at the moment. You probably have and you definitely will because that's what this world is like. Jesus knows what it is to suffer, to suffer loneliness, betrayal, false accusation, physically suffer, to serve others at cost to himself. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is God saying, yes, it's worth it. I commend you on your life, on the choice you've made, my son. When you suffer, and you will, look to the Lord Jesus, who is with you, And remember that God has put his stamp of approval on the suffering that keeps God in mind. The suffering that cries out to God, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't know why and I feel like I don't have the resources, but I know that you are with me and I know that your purposes are good. As we eat and drink tonight, we celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. We celebrate the suffering of Jesus, knowing that his death and life have a purpose that's bigger than us and that will succeed because God is with us to the very end of the age. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son, the Lord Jesus, knows what it is to live in this world. We thank you that At every point, even through suffering, uh, your son was faithful to you. Uh, We thank you for his faithfulness and his willingness to die in our place. We thank you for the power you've exerted in him in raising him from the dead. Uh, This demonstration of what is to come for the rest of us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to examine our hearts, uh, to to consider our doubts and to go back to the tomb of Jesus and be reminded that this is what you've done, uh, that you have a purpose for us uh, 
in being part of these disciples of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would never forget that you are with us and that you have a good purpose for us into eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.